1: Go stream something new on Hulu.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So, to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have it to get 30, 30, to get
1: 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20 to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month.
0: So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash switch. $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Howdy, yeah, it's Merle here. Come on, lend me. As I dig deep into spine-tingling yarns about the unknown cryptids hiding out in them big old
0: to find out if it's right for you.
1: Would our here park rangers will be your trusty guides to the downright spooky world of the cryptids and supernatural happenings where they're real and the tales get all tangled up? Let's go! It had been raining for days when the first body was discovered. I, Officer Ethan James, and my partner, Officer Sarah Walker, were working the graveyard shift in our small, isolated town. The murders had left everyone on edge, and the local police force was struggling to keep up. With each passing day the body count rose, and there seemed to be no clear motive or pattern. It was as if an unknown predator was lurking among us, hiding in plain sight. In desperation! Our police chief called in the National Guard for assistance. They arrived in our town, their uniforms crisp and professional, their faces set with determination. The town breathed a collective sigh of relief, knowing that these men and women were here to help. We were partnered with two National Guard soldiers, Lieutenant Carter and Sergeant Ramirez. They were seasoned professionals, and their experience proved invaluable as we continued our search for the mysterious predator. In the beginning, they were just as baffled by the murders as we were, but as we dug deeper into the case, strange and disturbing clues began to emerge. We found evidence that the predator wasn't just intelligent, but also capable of mimicking human behavior. It was as if the creature could blend in seamlessly among us, hiding in plain sight. This realization sent shivers down my spine, knowing that anyone could be the predator. One evening, as we were going through case files, Sarah stumbled upon a series of reports that seemed to connect the National Guard to the Predator. It appeared that the creature had been created by them, perhaps as part of some top-secret experiment gone wrong. The more we investigated, the more we realized that our new partners might not be here to help after all. The weight of this discovery hung heavy on us, but we knew we had to confront Lieutenant Carter and Sergeant Ramirez. We found them in the makeshift command center, poring over maps and discussing strategy. As we approached, their expressions changed, and they seemed to already know what we had discovered. We know what you found, Lieutenant Carter said, his voice cold and unyielding. But you need to understand that this is bigger than you, bigger than this town. If you say a word about the monster, we'll have no choice but to silence you. Sergeant Ramirez's eyes were filled with sadness and regret, but he didn't say a word. It was clear that they believed we were expendable in the grand scheme of things. We walked away from that conversation, our hearts heavy with the burden of the truth. We knew that if we spoke up we would be signing our own death warrants, but if we stayed silent the predator would continue to kill and our town would remain at its mercy. I was a teenager, and I was still in high school. Occasionally, my mom and I would drive around for hours to places that we didn't even know about. Just aimlessly driving to some place that would get us away from everything. We found many cool areas doing this. Now, the reason for it wasn't very pleasant. I'd rather not go into details about it. But at least we have the memories we do. It was a particularly bad day. My mom picks me up from school. She got to leave work early and she says that we were going for another drive. I never complained because I knew my mom was dealing with enough already. So I did everything I could to make her happy. That meant smiling and sucking it up. It also meant never complaining about spending too much time in the car. I did have siblings but they were always with their friends. I had friends but none that I really hung out with outside of school. I suppose I was more of a lone wolf than a social type. This meant that I was Mom's only company during the tougher days. And I knew how much that meant to her. It meant a lot to me, too, as we're driving. The sky gets pretty gray. It looked like we were going to be driving in the rain, and I was okay with that. My Mom was driving some time before I realized that we are in the foothills. And from this area, we started heading up towards the mountains. We hadn't been to this area before. It was pretty cool. It was very green and the road was full of all sorts of crazy twists and turns. My mom liked driving on roads like that and made her feel invincible, I think. There's a point in time when we get to a flat area. I assumed it was the very top of this mountain. There's a road that leads straight ahead, but there's these weird gates They sort of reminded me of those railroad gates that can open and close. They happened to be open. It looked really weird, but we were both very curious about it. So we went in. There were a few huge metal boxes that looked like transformers or something. I figured they were somehow connected to the gate that we drove through. All around us is this really cool wooded area. We followed the road for some time. Eventually we hit dead end. At the end of the road was this enormous body of water. It looked like a lake, but it seemed to turn into rivers that led off into two different directions. It seemed peaceful, and that's what my mom needed. I climbed out of the car and started to walk around this small area of land. If you were looking at the body of water from our car, there were different elements to notice. The first being that the area of land that we stood on obviously wrapped around the lake. But it was weird because we both couldn't walk on any of the sides. We were stuck in the dead center of the lake. This was partly due to the area on the left and the right of us being very steep and covered in rocks. There were two river-type things, as I mentioned, but they sort of swerved out to the northeast and northwest. It created this V-shape, almost, and then dead ahead of us was another area of land that was pretty far away from us. It was an interesting area, for sure. I hadn't seen anything like it before. It was the most pure silence I've ever heard in my whole life. No cars, no background noise. But there weren't any other noises either, which made it kind of eerie. We were out in nature, but we couldn't hear any signs of it, like birds or crickets or any flying insects. It was dead quiet. It started to sprinkle the tiniest bit of rain, and even that sound seemed amplified. And remember my mom saying, This is weird. It really was very weird. And I didn't think it could get much weirder. But it did. We looked out into the body of water and watched the small raindrops hitting the surface. The surface of the lake was super still. Like, freakily still. Like I've never seen water so still. Not even in a bathtub. So that's what made what we saw much more horrifying. As we looked out towards this body of water, we saw something rather large splash the water upwards. The sound alone was enough to frighten me. A loud splash after hearing nothing for several minutes was quite shocking, but the enormity of whatever forced the water up was unexplainable. I I don't think it could have been a fish. If it was, that fish was humongous. I hadn't noticed prior, but I noticed at this point that there was this weird series of smaller objects sitting above the water off to my left. They almost looked like a row of rocks peeking out of the water. It must have not caught my eye before, being that the sides were pretty much covered by large rocks. But as soon as we saw that splash and the gigantic ripples it created in the lake, I started to wonder if those rocks weren't really rocks at all, but the back of something large, hidden under the water. All this observation took no time at all, and if I'm being truthful, I was much too frightened to stand there much longer. My mom started to usher me into the car, saying that we needed to leave. So we got in the car and left. I would have thought that my mind was playing tricks on me. All of what we had experienced was truly, for a lack of better words, creepy, and my mom started revisiting the events out loud as we drove. Everything she was saying was exactly what I saw, too. I can still hear her words. That wasn't a fish. It couldn't have been right. All I know is, whatever it was made me so scared I wouldn't step foot near another lake or river again. I just won't. As a park ranger, I thought I'd seen it all. From lost hikers to animal attacks I had dealt with my fair share of emergencies, but nothing could have prepared me for what I was about to discover. I received a call from the local police department about a group of campers who had gone missing while hiking in a remote part of the park. As I set out to search for them I had a sinking feeling in my stomach that something was not right. As I made my way through the dense forest I began to notice strange symbols etched into the trees and rocks. They looked like they were from an ancient language, and it was clear that they were not made by any human hand. As I continued on, I heard strange noises in the distance. They sounded like whispers, but there was no one around. The air grew thick and heavy, and I could feel something watching me from the shadows. Finally, I stumbled upon a clearing in the woods. It was surrounded by massive stones that were arranged in a circle like a giant altar. In the center of the circle was a deep hole and I could hear faint screams coming from inside. I approached the hole cautiously and peered inside. What I saw made my blood run cold. It was a group of campers huddled together and trembling in fear. They were surrounded by dark, shadowy figures that seemed to be feeding off their fear and misery. I realized then that I had stumbled upon an ancient evil that had been lurking in the woods for centuries. The symbols, the whispers, the screams, they were all part of a sinister ritual that was designed to bring forth this evil from its slumber. As I tried to rescue the campers, the shadows closed in around me. I could feel their cold breath on my neck, their fingers tracing my skin. I knew then that I had to act fast if I wanted to survive. I dug deep within myself and summoned every ounce of courage I had. With a roar, I lunged forward and tackled one of the shadowy figures. It let out a guttural scream as I plunged my knife into its chest, and the rest of the shadows dissipated into thin air. The campers were safe, but I knew that the evil was still out there lurking in the shadows, and as I made my way back to the park headquarters, I couldn't shake the feeling that it was watching me, waiting for its next victim. In the spring of 2009, I was driving through central Wisconsin from Minneapolis to my home in northern Michigan on Highway 64 between Gilman and Medford. I had been seeing deer on the road since St. Croix, so I was driving slowly and on high alert. At the farthest reach of my high beams, I saw something walking across the road. I slowed way down to about 30 miles per hour, and that's when I saw it. Now, here is the weird part I saw the back of it as it was jumping over the steel barrier. It was bipedal, had legs that resembled a moose and ears like a dog, but no tail. It had to have been seven, eight feet tall. I think I almost swallowed my tongue. I came to a tee in the road about a half hour later. Right at the IT, there was a bar, it was open, and I needed a drink. Just a shot, I was driving after all. I must have had a wild look on my face because I just sat down at the end of the bar and asked for a shot of anything. When the bartender poured me a shot of JD, he said, you just saw it, didn't you? I didn't say a word. I just looked at him. He said, this one is on the house. I drank the damn shot, put $5 on the bar and left. I never mentioned it to anyone else until now. A few years ago, me and three of my buddies went for what was supposed to be an overnight hiking camping trip in the Smokies. After about three hours of hiking, we were just starting to set up camp for the night when a freak thunderstorm hit us out of now. We scrambled to pack up our stuff and miraculously managed to find a very small cave, not big enough for any animals to be hiding in it. It was more like a rocky alcove that had just enough space to shield the four of us from the rain. We spent the night in the cave. One of my friends even started showing symptoms of hypothermia, but thankfully I had an emergency blanket in my backpack that helped him. The next morning we tried to find our way back to the trail. It took us two hours of hiking to realize we were very lost. It took us three days to find our way back to civilization. There was two men pulling a big black duffel bag. We were up high on a hill so they couldn't really see us. They had shovels. We watched pretending to be spies, sharing the binoculars. When they looked in our way, we ran. We ran back to the bikes, then rode back to camp as fast as possible. At that time, we camped with about 15 other families. Travel trader camping group, no one at all believed us. We begged them to call the police. No one believed us. We still tell our family now they should have listened to us. And now 35 and my brother and cousin are 32. To this day, no one believes us. A few things to know. I share custody of my son with his father. It is 50-50. When my son was younger, I would wake him up at the crack of dawn to get him ready for daycare before I went into work. I've worked remotely for three years now and no longer have to wake up so early. I also love to talk to my kids about their memories. What's your happiest memory? What's your favorite memory with your brother? What's your earliest memory? As I think talking about their memories helps keep them alive in their minds and I love to see the world through their eyes. A few months ago, when my son was six, he told me he remembered what it was like to be in my belly. That it was dark, wet, warm and comforting. At the time, I didn't think much of it and just nodded and told him that I thought that was interesting. Fast forward to a month ago, I asked my now seven-year-old what his earliest memory was. I will do my best to describe what he described to me. He was three years old at the time. He was sleeping and woke up in a dark room. He didn't know where he was, but he stayed in his bed and visually observed the room. He described the room to me, which was spot on. We moved out of that house two years ago. He said at the time he didn't know where he was, but he wasn't scared. When the sun started coming up and brightening his room, I, his mother, came in. He saw me and didn't know who I was, but again, was not scared. I asked him if he remembered his dad when he picked him up, and he said no, he didn't recognize his dad, his dad's house, or his own bedroom there. He said from that day he awoke in his room at my house and going forward was when he began to learn. He said prior to the day he woke up he couldn't see through his eyes. The way he describes it to me seems like the way you see in a dream. He struggled to explain this portion to me. He said it wasn't a scary feeling when he was finally able to see. At the time he was explaining this to me his four-year-old sister was wandering around the house playing by herself and he looked at her and said, I wonder if she remembers when she could see. I believe what he was describing to me was the moment his consciousness came to him. The moment he realized he was here on this earth. The way he explained it in such great detail makes me believe that this is an actual memory and not something he has made up. Does anyone have a similar experience? About a month ago, my boyfriend and I were on the couch of our home watching a scary movie around 9 p.m. He has two phones, his personal cell and his work phone. Once we finished the movie, I said I was going to get the shower going and wait for him to join me after he called his daughter to tell her good night. He used his personal phone to call her, leaving his work phone on the couch alongside his personal one once he hung up. He came to check on me in the shower and told me he would be in after he grabbed some clothes and a towel. However, after going back to the bedroom to grab those, he noticed that his personal phone was missing from the couch. He was only gone for about a minute from the living room to come to the bathroom. He spent another five minutes looking for it everywhere in the house. He even tried calling it from his work phone several times before giving up and getting into the shower with me. About 30 minutes pass, he tells me about the incident, and we think nothing of it since I promised to help him find it after we get out. However, once we get out, we spend another five minutes tearing the house apart. Still nothing. He and I both called his personal phone. Several times, but we couldn't hear it anywhere. And I finally have the idea to try and ping it using the shared location services. That's when it shows up, claiming to be in the neighbor's front yard. He thought I was joking with him until I showed him my screen. Neither of us had left the house. Both the front door and the back door still remained locked from when we got home earlier that day. I thought he was actually the one pranking me. He promised he wasn't. I stood in the doorway as he got a jacket on and went outside with his work phone, using it as a flashlight, and to call his personal phone. He looked for it for a while. But then I watched as he bent down, dug in our neighbor's bushes, and retrieved his flashing personal phone that lit up due to the incoming call. It had been raining and was very muddy, yet his phone was completely dry and seemingly untouched when he retrieved it. As he called it, the phone didn't make any sound, just buzzed. Yet when he double-checked that he kept the ringer on, thinking it got turned off, it was still on, as it should have been playing his ringtone. But it never did that entire time we looked for it. To this day, we cannot explain how it got outside in the span of about five minutes. Never rang even with the ringer on, was still dry after sitting in the rain or mud for about forty minutes total, and how it ended up buried in the neighbor's bushes. Get it? I didn't want to make a separate post, so I thought I'd add on. Ever since this incident with the phone, more strange things have happened. Things have been knocked over in the middle of the night. I hear footsteps when I'm home alone. See things out of the corner of my eyes, and the scariest one yet. We have light fixtures that you click on and off, like flat buttons, not the switches. He and I were sitting on the couch in the living room, when all of a sudden the lights in the dining room began to turn on and off, the creepy part was that the buttons were being clicked rapidly and loudly, too. I would have chalked it up to faulty wiring if it was just the lights going crazy, but the buttons were physically being pressed and making noise, too, as if someone was pressing it on and off very quickly. He said he has never experienced anything like this in this house before. It started happening after I moved in. After reading some comments, I'm beginning to think it's some sort of entity. It might be attached to me. I've had other paranormal experiences before too. The first encounter with whatever this thing is was when I was running on a trail in the woods behind my elementary school. I got halfway through when I heard a UFO-esque warble. Something I've never heard before. I looked up in the tree I heard it come from and saw something that looked like a mix between what could have been a monkey and a bird. It had the body of a monkey or some mammal, four limbs and brown fur, and the head of a bird, bird bird-shaped head with beak and feathers. Also after I spotted it, and it ran off quickly for the rest of the time I was on the trail, stuff kept falling around me, like branches and acorns. And this didn't happen until I spotted it, I thought I was hallucinating after encountering it, but later that month I was on a different trail behind my high school this time, when I encountered it again. I was going through the trail when I started to hear wolves howling, which is weird because wolves don't live in my area to my knowledge. At that point I started to pick up the pace because I don't want to be eaten. Eventually I hears moving in the trees, and at one point I spot the damn bird monkey again after that the howling got closer and stuff started to fall around me again. I'm usually calm, but I started to get a little nervous. Eventually I get to the end of the trail and that's when I hear what sounds like a dog whimpering in a nearby bush. Crap! Still dropping around me and the howling is getting closer, but I stopped because it could be a dog in distress. I eventually left it without checking though because with everything going on it probably wasn't a dog. I don't know if the howling and dog were connected, but I added it anyway, as it all happened in the same encounter. I have no clue what bird-monkey thing it is or its name, but any help would be appreciated. I will add that the woods behind my high school and elementary school are very haunted. I've done a ton of ghost hunting at night, and every time I see or hear, I can always put my other ghost-crypted stories up if wanted. Earlier this year in March, I was in my work van driving from Warning Lid to Littlehampton, West Sussex, to start my deliveries. It was early morning around 5 a.m., still pitch black, but weather was clear. I was driving southbound on the uh, 24 and had just passed the southern tip of the village of Ashington soon to be approaching the Storington roundabout. On my left-hand side, there is a section of grass that runs for a few hundred feet, and is about six feet wide or so before it becomes a huge thicket of brambles. I saw a creature. That I can only describe as cardboard box color. It was about four feet tall, but down on its haunches to where its heels were touching its butt. It was facing diagonally away from me, into the base of the bushes, so I saw its back and left side of its body more so than anything else. Its spine was showing, and also ribs, but not to the extreme, and it had small round ears that were in the location of a human's, but shaped in a similar way. As to what a black bear's are, it had a tail that rose up into a subtle S-shape, was very skinny and seemed to be hairless, like the rest of the animal. The face, from what I could see, had a muzzle but not extremely pronounced, and it seemed to be tracking something in the grass. My guess would be some kind of rodent. Its head movements were very digital and all over the place, and it jumped like how a fox would when pouncing, but in doing so I saw the soles of the feet, which I remember extremely clearly as they looked like ours. But, given the hours that I'm awake, and the fact I'm a proper country boy, I see multiple foxes on a daily. This was as far from a fox as a monkey is. It was nothing I had ever seen before in person, on tele, internet, or in book. The duration lasted about five seconds, and as soon as I saw it, I had shivers all over my body and I literally said out loud what the F was that. I couldn't believe my eyes. I got to the roundabout probably thirty seconds later and doubled back on myself to get back into the same road again in hopes I could get a second glimpse, but I wasn't lucky. The thing about it all that was almost stranger than the sighting itself was that I had such a strong feeling of shame that came over me. I felt so shameful in seeing it and have no idea why. I remember being in tears because of it. And I don't fully understand why, but I felt like I had no business seeing it. And if I had a regular job that never required me to be up so early, then I never would have. Still no idea what it was. If anyone has seen anything similar, please share, or has any insight. I'd appreciate it. Thank you. I've always been a skeptic when it came to the paranormal. Ghosts, ghouls, and unexplained phenomena were never my cup of tea, so when I joined the police force, I never thought I'd have to face them head. On, my name is Jenny Martinez, and this is my story. I was a rookie police officer, fresh out of the academy and eager to prove myself. My first assignment was in a small, sleepy town called Oak Hollow. It was the kind of place where everyone knew each other, and nothing much ever happened. I was excited to start patrolling the streets, and I couldn't wait to make a difference in the community. One night, while on my usual patrol, I noticed something strange. The air felt heavier, and there was an eerie silence that seemed to cloak the town. I brushed it off as my imagination running wild and continued my patrol. As I turned down an old cobblestone street, I saw it, the ghostly figure of a woman dressed in white standing by the road. My heart pounded in my chest, but I convinced myself it was just a trick of the light. I blinked and she was gone. Little did I know this was just the beginning. Over the next few weeks I encountered more inexplicable events. Objects would move on their own. Strange noises echoed through the night, and I would see apparitions of people long dead. I couldn't deny it any longer. Oak Hollow was haunted. Desperate for answers, I reached out to a local paranormal investigator named Thomas. He had been researching the town's history for years and agreed to help me get to the bottom of these strange occurrences. Together we discovered that Oak Hollow was built on the site of a tragedy that happened over a century ago. The town's founders had made a pact with a malevolent spirit, and in exchange for power and wealth, they offered the souls of their descendants. The spirits were trapped in limbo, unable to move on until the pact was broken. As a police officer, it was my duty to protect the people of Oak Hollow, even if it meant confronting my own fears and skepticism. Thomas and I devised a plan to break the pact and set the spirits free. With the help of ancient rituals and Thomas's knowledge of the paranormal, we confronted the malevolent spirit. It was a battle of wills as we struggled to release the trapped souls and banish the evil entity from Oak Hollow once and for all. As the night wore on I could feel the energy shift. The air became lighter and the oppressive atmosphere that had haunted the town lifted We had succeeded in breaking the pact and setting the spirits free. My time in Oak Hollow changed me. I went from a skeptic to a believer, and I learned that sometimes the most important battles are fought against forces we cannot see. The spirits of Oak Hollow may have been put to rest, but the memories of that time will stay with me forever. I've never believed in God. It was all too convenient for my liking. The songs and the stories were all wrapped up in putrid desperation that made it hard to believe a word of it. Who would ever come up with such an idea as a divine being that cared equally for seven billion, not excluding those long dead and waiting to be born, of his children, was doing nothing more than shouting to the void or begging for therapy? At least it sounded that way to me. What other explanation was there when children were starving or being locked in cages for daring to cross a man-made line of no crossies? How was I supposed to believe that famine and diseases were trials brought to pass by a benevolent being while people bombed and gassed and starved and enslaved? In the past, when children woke up not knowing if they'd be shot dead for pursuing an education, in the now, the pain and suffering that came with simply being alive, it did not seem like the work of a benevolent leader of any sort. Honestly, it appeared like tyranny, a child abuse even, and I personally never subscribed to it because of that. While not believing in that, also came the belief of not believing in ghosts, not believing in an afterlife of any sort, and being absolutely tickled pink by the idea of inherently nasty, chronically evil beings, demons, if I could not believe in the absolute good that that old woman ensured me existed in a God nobody had ever seen, I wasn't sure why they thought they could convince me of the absolute evil that was supposedly too heinous to comprehend, but also no match for the goodness that was comprehensible. It did not make a lick of sense. And so, as a result, I left the church before my voice finished deepening and invested my time and effort into something that could, I feel, make a difference. I donated my time and my money in an attempt to help the helpless instead of waiting for some fabled generous deity to help them in my stead. And when I was old enough, I joined the police. Academy in an attempt to actually make a difference. Sure. I smoked. I drank. I indulged in women and men. But... When bad things came, I was the first guy people called out to for help. I like to think that if a god does exist, he's simply been playing hooky these past few hundred thousand million years. Anyway, me being too nice is pretty much how I got myself into this mess. I was working the night shift on Saturday, Randy's Saturday night shift, and just so we're clear, I was never meant to suffer this way. Because of my worsening eyesight... I was pretty much removed from the nighttime rotation in an effort to avoid having a half-blind cop having to chase some speeding dipwit down a half-lit Kentucky highway. If not for the fact that Randy's wife had suddenly gone into labor, I never had my faith shaken. You see, it was halfway through my shift. My eyes felt like they were full of sand at this point. My partner, who I'll call Vanessa, suggested we stop for a coffee, calling me a hundred variations of old all the while. But before we had the chance to pull into the only open establishment within a six-mile radius, McDonald's, of course, the radio began kicking up status and a report of domestic abuse. Apparently, neighbors were having a barbecue, and they had heard the woman that lived in the house to the left screaming bloody murder. When they'd gone over to check on the woman that lived there at the house, things had gone silent, and they'd been left standing at the door talking to nobody at all. We pulled into the neighborhood in record time. Leaving the car with our hands already hovering at our belts, the door easily gave beneath our combined force. When the sound ceased its echoing, I led the way into the house, a darn ear holding my breath as I tried not to make a sound of anything. I had been to graveyards with more life and stillness, and it also made me nervous. Civilians had not reported gunshots or slamming unless he strangled her and there was no sign he'd killed her at all. What Wayne meant most nervous, though, was the dust that coated the counters and furniture. It was so thick I could draw it in. There was no evidence that anybody at all had been there in months, which meant that we'd uh, either been set up or the neighbors who were delusional. Vanessa and I combed the house from top to bottom, searching very carefully for signs of struggle, and when we found nothing, we headed back to the front. Our shift was nearly over at this point, and we did not have the energy to press for details. The door, swinging open to my left, gave me a moment's pause. We'd been so sure to close each door behind ourselves, as it was the first thing we learned in Police Academy. Do always be hyper-aware of your surroundings and alert. You never know when things may turn awry. I was quick to chalk it up to something loose in the hinges. Vanessa shuddered and went for the rosary she kept in her front breast pocket. She held it so tightly it was nearly convincing. Almost. Maybe the snorting was unnecessary. Maybe, perhaps, if I hadn't chosen to be such a pig about being an atheist, that thing wouldn't have wasted its time. But I was, so it did. A whisper that ran cold on my back seemed to lock up my ear with four words that made my entire body run cold. You're going to hell. I don't know who was faster on the way down the stairs at me or Vanessa, but at some point I was dragging her after me and into the open air. We turned to search for the neighbors we left outside, only to find the entire street was now dark. There was no sign that anybody had ever been there at all. Vanessa took that information in, heading for the car, telling me to come up with an explanation for that. And, honestly, to this day, I don't have one. I feel a little more open-minded after this event. And maybe as time goes on, I'll come to know the real truth. Perhaps my judgment of things in life is not all that accurate, given this new experience.